Hi, we're here from Curiosity.com to help you get smarter in just a few minutes. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll learn how to make an excuse without ruining your friendships, why we'd all move a lot faster if nobody walked on the escalator, and why you might not really know whether you're a morning or a night person, and how to find out the truth. Let's satisfy some curiosity. Before you blow off your next commitment, take this advice. Don't say the phrase, I don't have time. According to new research, using busyness as an excuse could seriously harm your relationships. Grant Donnelly is an assistant professor of marketing at Ohio State University, and he says that when you have to decline an engagement, you should blame a lack of money or even energy, but not time. His research team came to this conclusion by sifting through Twitter conversations, polling couples about their reactions to declined wedding invitations, and asking business people to imagine a colleague turning down a dinner invite. No matter which way they looked at the question, the team got the same results. People seem to be more hurt by excuses centering on time, which can cause lasting damage to relationships. The basic idea behind why this is hinges on the idea of control. Essentially, people buy the idea that you really don't have the money and you just can't come. So you're not making a choice. But if you say you don't have time, then people just see it as you saying that you can't be bothered. And that's a big no-no. Detailed surveys about how people use their time show that most Americans really aren't that busy. But beyond that, a lot of experts point out that the phrase, I'm too busy, really means I don't value this enough to make time for it. If you want to really be honest about why you're declining something, then do just that. Be honest about it. Instead of saying, I don't have time, try saying, it's not a priority. Someone asks you to edit their resume? Tell them you're sorry, but it's not a priority right now. You can use this to persuade people, too. If someone says, I don't have time to go to the doctor for a checkup, then try reframing it and saying, ah, I see you don't go to the doctor because it's not a priority. Changing your language reminds everyone that time is a choice. And maybe this story is a good excuse to re-examine your own priorities. This article definitely made me think. Did it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, like when we're all on our deathbeds, what's going to be the important thing that we look back on? Our relationships. And if you're working too much to have time for your relationships, you might want to re-examine that, myself included. <laughs> Aww. <laughs> you probably know the rules of your local escalator. You stand on one side and you walk on the other side. It's different depending on where in the world you live, but it's still a rule. Well, I hate to break it to you, but research shows that it's actually faster if everyone just stands still on the escalator. University of Greenwich researchers have found that, on average, only 25% of people walk on escalators. The other 75% stand still. That's a problem. If you're supposed to stand on one side and walk on the other side, then you've reserved 50% of the escalator for only 25% of its riders. And people tend to leave more space between each other on the walking side than the standing side. That means longer lines and a slower commute overall, right? That by itself doesn't mean standing is always faster. What if those walkers are going fast enough to make up for the extra space? You'd have to test it in the real world to find out. And no normal person would force grumpy commuters to stand two by two on an escalator in the name of science, right? Well, luckily, scientists aren't normal people. In 2015, a team of analysts spent three weeks looking at commuters at Holborn Station in central London. They urged commuters to stand still on both sides of the escalator, sometimes even having uniformed guards stand so people couldn't pass them. And the experiment beat the analysts' models by a mile. 
Between 8.30 and 9.30 in the morning, one escalator that usually carried 12,745 passengers carried a whopping 16,220 passengers instead. That's about 3,500 passengers more. A lot of those passengers were pretty unhappy about being forced to stand still. But on average, they all got to their destinations faster than they would have otherwise. This is a classic example of the conflict between every man for himself and the greater good. Obviously, if the escalator is totally empty, then walk to your heart's content. But don't be surprised if you see the stand-only rule show up in your city. Hong Kong, Tokyo, and Washington, D.C. have flirted with no-walk campaigns. They've had mixed results, but who knows? We could be walking toward a walkless future. Oh, the irony. Today's episode is sponsored by Paint Your Life. I used Paint Your Life, and it was really cool. So I have this photo from early on in my relationship with my wife, and it's a selfie we took outside of a theater before we saw a production of William Shakespeare's The Tempest. And it was just one of the best nights ever. But the photo we have as a keepsake is kind of blurry. So I go to Paint Your Life, and hey, you give them a photo, and they create a painting from it, like actual artwork. You can choose a watercolor, charcoal painting, lots of different styles. And I send them this kind of blurry photo, and what do you know? They turn it into a charcoal painting that I got framed, and now it's hanging up on our wall. What a way to preserve your memories. You can get an original painting of yourself, your children or other family members, a special place, or even a cherished pet, all at a price you can afford with PaintYourLife.com. And this is a true painting done by hand by a world-class artist. This makes the perfect gift for a birthday, anniversaries, Mother's Day, which is coming up, or hey, even a wedding. You can choose the specific artist whose work you admire the most, by the way, and you can work with them throughout the process until every detail is perfect. I had them give me a little bit more of a smile in the photo, actually. Uh, I gave me a little revision, and it came out even better than the original picture. Well, and get this. There's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money is refunded. How cool is that? And right now, as a limited time offer, you can get 30% off your painting. That's right, 30% off and free shipping. To get this special offer, text the word CURIOUS to 484848. That's CURIOUS to 484848. Text C-U-R-I-O-U-S to 484848. Message and data rates may apply. You'd think it would be obvious if you were a morning or a night person. Do you get up early or stay up late? But regardless of your actual sleep schedule, your body has its own ideal schedule. Whether those two schedules line up can mean the difference between starting your day energetic and chipper or smashing the snooze button a few dozen times. Guilty as charged. So let's talk about how you can know if you're a morning person or a night person and what you can do about it. Generally, morning people, or larks, are people who ideally wake up before 8, even on weekends. Night owls are people who prefer to stay up past 11 and wake up after 8 whenever they can. That's me. Which one you are isn't just a matter of taste. It's actually a matter of your chronotype. That is your internal clock settings, which are at least partially genetic. A lot of the time when we talk about internal clocks, we talk about circadian rhythms, the wide variety of biological processes that keep the body on a roughly 24-hour sleep cycle. For instance, in the morning, the body releases cortisol, an alertness hormone that helps you wake up. At night, when you're winding down, your system releases melatonin, which helps you sleep. Even skin has circadian rhythms. It heals faster during the day when we're most active. We don't all have identical circadian rhythms, though. The timing of our cortisol and melatonin releases depends on pacemaker cells in our brains, whose oscillations keep time for us. 
Pacemaker cells are complex, and although they do respond to external cues like sunlight and alarm clocks, they're only adaptable to a certain point, thanks to genetics. That's why understanding your chronotype can help you take care of yourself. Fortunately, there's a questionnaire called the Morningness-Eveningness Questionnaire, which is commonly used for sleep studies. You can find a link to that in our full write-up on this, which is available on Curiosity.com and on our free Curiosity app for Android and iOS. All you have to do is fill out 20 multiple-choice questions, and the results will help you figure out what kind of habits and sleep schedule might be the best for you. Did you take this? I did. What'd you get? I mean, what do you think? You're a morning person. I'm definitely a morning person. What surprised me about this was, first of all, the questionnaire was really fun. It wasn't one of those kind of annoying, same check yes or no questionnaires. It's kind of fun to take. Second, your personalized feedback is really detailed. So my feedback estimated when my melatonin onset occurs. For me, it's 10.30 p.m. They estimate my natural bedtime is about 12.15 in the morning. So after wow. midnight. Yeah. And they actually offer some recommendations for adjusting that, but there's lots of different tips we have in our sleep write-ups in various articles on Curiosity. That's amazing. Your melatonin releases at 1030. They say my bedtime, like I need to go to sleep at 1030. I mean, it's a questionnaire, so take all results with a grain of salt, but as a general rule of thumb, it seems kind of accurate. Read about today's stories and more on Curiosity.com. Join us again tomorrow for the award-winning Curiosity Daily and learn something new in just a few minutes. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Stay curious. On the Westwood One Podcast Network.